0: Well, family here at Lake Avenue Church, I think we as a family gathered before our one father need to hear something from our father and his word. So turn to Luke chapter 10, Luke chapter 10, verses 25 and on Um, in case you don't know where that is and the Bibles in front of you. I think it's page 1306. If I saw that number right, Luke chapter 10, beginning with verse 25, let's stand. And remember that we are hearing our father's word, so we should listen carefully. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? Jesus replied, how do you read it? He answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus said. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And this led, of course, to Jesus telling the story of the good Samaritan, teaching us that everyone who comes across our path is a neighbor And worthy of our love. But that leads directly into verse 38. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way. He came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. As she came up to him and asked, Lord, don't you care? Don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha. The Lord answered. You are worried and upset about many things. But only one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen what is better. And it will not be taken from her. And this is the word of God. may be seated. I knew that this was our family service on this fifth Sunday. So I thought back to when my children were small. In our home, I was the one who usually read the stories in the books. Chris fixed everything. I sat and read the stories. That's kind of the way it was in the Waybright home. And uh, one of the series of stories that I read both to Brandon and Heather was uh, the Lewis Carroll uh, books, uh, Alice in Wonderland and then through the looking glass. And as I thought about what I wanted to say to us as a family this morning, I thought about one episode in the second of those books, the the through the looking glass. It's uh, that time when Alice had gone back into the wonderland and she was there with the white queen and they were both running. Those of you, do you remember that part of the story, both of them running? And yet, though they were running, the landscape stayed the same, running, 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 same bush, running, running, same tree, running, 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 same grass. And Alice says to the queen, well, this is strange where I come from. When you run, you actually go somewhere (laughs) to which the queen replies. Now, here you see. It takes all the running you can do to stay in the same place. If you want to actually get somewhere else, you must run at least twice as fast as that. Now, why on earth would that story come to my mind when I thought of this morning's service? I will tell you why. Because sometimes for me, life feels like that. I get to running and doing the things that I think should be done engaged in the activity that I even think sometimes God would have me to do. But at the end of the day, I look back and it seems as if I didn't do anything. The same bush, the same tree, the same grass. And I think, do I have to try to run twice as hard tomorrow? I don't think I can do it and I only get worn out. The last church that I pastored was in Arlington Heights, Illinois, the northwest suburb of Chicago. It was a business community. Uh, Almost most of the people there were business people or, or professionals And I'll tell you, not a one of them worked 40 hours a week. Far, far more. When I would talk with them about slowing down just a bit, they would talk about the competition globally, that the business people in Singapore and Japan worked far more hours every day of the week. And they felt like they had to keep working harder just to just to stay in the same place. And then they would come back. Uh, to their homes and coach their children's soccer teams and, and basketball teams. And, and then they would get involved in different areas of the community. And then they would come to church and the pastor would preach the kind of sermon I preached two weeks ago. You have to serve in the church, too, uh, for your own growth. The Bible tells us we need to be serving one another. And it does. And you know what the feeling is just exhaustion. And we actually, in our society, get our children involved in that, too, for the children who are here. You know that's true, that that this is escalating Uh, our children from their earliest years. We have to get them going to soccer camps and, and music camps and programs and dance camps. And programs and then they're supposed to be involved in their uh, church or singing in the choir. They're supposed to be involved in so many places. So we're getting our children involved in that same kind of what feels like frenetic activity. And it just continues on. I, I was thinking of a college student who last March was just about to graduate and said, President, I can't wait till I graduate because I know that when I get out into the workplace with my family, that life will slow down. I wanted wanted to to tell him that probably this is the slowest pace he'll experience for a long time. All right, so here we are. You know that on one side, God created us in his image. And in Genesis chapter 1, what we find God doing is producing. Uh, He creates, and then he makes us in his image and gives us opportunity to have our lives count so work and productivity and activity, that's a part of the image of God in us. We pray that God would give fruit to the work of our hands, that what we do will actually matter in this world. But the problem is sometimes that activity seems to take over our lives. And so I, I've often wondered, how do we engage in this? Uh, how, how do we have our lives in order And yet become people who actually are productive and make a difference in the community and the world and in our local church. And I think that the passage that I come to today is one of the most helpful. I put in the worship folder today a quotation from C.S. Lewis written by a a woman to a woman who had written him a letter. She was concerned about how it is that when she went to church, they always talked about God, putting God first in your life. And it seemed to her that that would take away from the love of people. And C.S. Lewis, as, as you see there, said that if you put even your earthly dearest first in your life, ahead of God, you'll soon come to a point where you don't love your earthly dearest at all. And the reason is, of course, that your earthly dearest can never take the place of God. Even the very best person will make a very poor God. And then he would say those telling comments, it's only when first things are put first that second things take their rightful place. When the first thing is first, the second thing, even our earthly dearest, even our work, even all that God has called us to serve in, will take on meaning only when he is in his rightful place. And today's text, Luke chapter 10, verses 38 to 42, helps us get at that, I think, so beautifully and so wonderfully. And it deals with that age-old problem. I I would love to take more time with God I'd love to put God in a a place where actually in the relationship we spend time in the relationship, except I'm too busy doing other things. I don't have enough time for that. And the point I'm going to try to make is this. If we leave God out, all those other things will consume us. And all they will do is deplete our energy and rob us of our joy and leave us generally being irritated, cranky people. And I don't want to pastor that kind Nor do you want to have a pastor whose life is so hectic and out of control that all you have on a Sunday morning is an irritated, cranky pastor saying you should be better. So let's try to get this right. In some ways, the message this morning should have been my first message. But I didn't become convinced of that until this last week. We're going to be talking about first things first. First things first. And it brings us to this marvelous text uh, in Luke chapter 10. Look again at verse 38. Jesus and the disciples were on the way. And in this part of Luke, they were on the way to Jerusalem. And in Jerusalem, Jesus would give his life. And it came, brought him to a village where there was a woman named Martha with this wonderful phrase who opened her home to him. Opened her home. Hospitality. And she had a sister. But the sister was sitting at the Lord's feet, listening to what he said. But Martha was still busy. With all the preparations, and I like this phrase too, that had to be made, what she was doing was important. Now, I'll tell you, when you read this little narrative, just those few verses, I am so tempted to try to draw a psychological profile of each one of these women, so I gave in to the temptation. (laughs) Martha, we might guess, was a very industrious, practical sort of woman, A-type personality, much like my own in that way. She was the kind of person who firmly believed that the time for sitting down was when the whole project was finished and not one second before. Now, she was very hospitable, so her activity really made a positive difference. And as one who, over the last 12 years, has spent so much time traveling and staying in so many homes... I love people like Martha. Uh, I can just picture it. I can just picture going into the home. Uh, Everything in the bathroom is perfect. The towels in just the right place, fluffed up, just the right colors. Uh, Go to a meal and you're going to have one of those community praised uh, recipes set before you. Can't you picture it? You go into the living room. The fire is burning. It's just such a wonderful place. Makes you ready for the next day. Just being there with Martha. I would want to hire her as my assistant, just, just to let you know. On the other side, Mary, I, I envision as, as more studious, reflective, artistic. But I'm afraid if she were left in the kitchen, even though guests might be there, the vegetables would burn in the, fi- in the living room, the fireplace would go out. You know what I thought? I thought if she walked in t- and, and saw in the corner a cobweb, Instead of grabbing a broom to get rid of it, she'd she'd get a piece of paper and start drawing it. She would be so fascinated by it, by its beauty. And I'll tell you, heaven help the home where she has to, to mend the pants or, or, or fix something. It's just not going to get done. I'll tell you, it's not hard. Just look around. It's not hard for us uh, to understand these two women. And you know why, don't you? I think all of us know them. They're in our homes They're in our circles of friends, aren't they? I mean, this was written 2,000 years ago. But these are people that we know, two very different kind of people. We can picture them here. Mary, relaxed, laid back. I'm I'm guessing a a book or or a sheet of paper in her hand uh, to take notes. Uh, Martha, more intense. uh, The schedule for today and even for tomorrow was clearly there as all outlined. Both of them, extremely thoughtful women. Neither one of them frivolous or or, or dumb, but but as different as night is from day. And they were sisters. Oh, man, you know that this episode where these sisters got on one another's nerves, this was not the first time that had happened. Don't we learn to do that in a family? We get to know one another. And I'm sure that what happened here had happened a thousand times in their home. Uh, There was Martha doing all the work that really was important to be done. She had the rabbi coming over and, and, and all of his guests and friends. There was a lot that had to be done. And there was Mary. And I can think of Martha as usual. As usual, just sitting there at his feet. We would expect, especially and the reason why I wanted to read earlier on to you a part of the encounter with the Good Samaritan. Following on the heels of the good Samaritan, where some people had done nothing and were rebuked. And the one who had actually served the Samaritan was praised. You would expect that it would be Martha, the one who saw the need and served, would be the one who is praised. Wouldn't you see that? And yet in this situation, and I want you to underline that, in this situation, when Jesus was there... It was Martha who receives the rebuke and Mary who receives the praise. Why? Again, it comes back to that situation that I talked about before. God has created us in his image to serve and to work and be productive. And yet so much of that service and production can just wear us out, can deplete us of all of our energy. If the first thing is not first, and that is what is being driven home. Martha, this time, was the one who was wrong. And the question I have is why. And maybe the best thing I could do for us as we gather is to think about that. Why was she wrong? And there are three reasons. I think I've put a few notes there for you. The first, I think, is that she was wrong to begrudge her sister the opportunity to learn from Jesus. She was wrong to begrudge this privilege. That we don't have every moment of every day to learn from Jesus. I want you to notice again, verse 39, what was happening and where Mary was. Mary was sitting at the Lord's feet, listening to what he said. Now, Children who may still be here, you know, the Bible wasn't written last year. You you know that 2000 years ago. And in that time in the world, it's it's shocking for us today, but in that time in the world, women could not be educated formally. There were some Jewish rabbis who insisted morally and ethically that women should not learn. There were even a few rabbis who would argue that women could not learn. That women had been created by God simply to do what Martha was doing, which was important And yet in this situation, we begin to learn the way that Jesus sees people, all people. Um, Women were often thought to be people who shouldn't be sitting, listening to the teaching of of Jesus, studying theology, learning about God. No, that's only for certain men. Children were often also kept away from Jesus. And do you remember what he said? Let them come. Let them come of such people is the kingdom of God. The point that I see being driven home here so clearly is this. All followers of Jesus must have these times when we stop all the activity and simply come and learn from Jesus. Now, for those who aren't often here in the big house, (laughs) let, let me tell you why we have these moments when we stop as a congregation and have this person stand up. And open this word to us. It's because, in the midst of this very busy and hectic world, where our school, our work, our relationships, our families, sometimes we have things happening that we feel as if we are in a flood and it is going to overtake us, we need to have a moment where we stop and simply open this word and sit at the feet of Jesus. Know again who He is that he is in control, put him in his rightful place, which is is what worship is. It's putting God in at the center, at the the foundation, the first person in everything so that the rest of our lives can take order around him being at the center. We, We must do this on an individual basis, but we must do it as a congregation as well. Because it seems to me what this text is teaching us is this. Even though there is so much that God would have us do. And even though the point is made that the preparations that Martha was making had to be made. Still there was something even more important than those preparations. And that is taking time to sit at the feet of Jesus and to put him first in our lives again. And in this we begin to get the order right. The first thing is the love of God. And out of that flows all the service and the activity. If we simply try to do activity, even if it's activity in service of God and his people, at the end of the day, we will have no strength and energy with which to do it. That our service to God always flows from hearts grateful for who he is and what he has done. And it's clear to me here that we need those moments where we stop and remember it. So that when we go out into the world, the activity is not in our own strength, but simply flowing out of a relationship with him. Do you see that? Is that clear? So Martha was wrong to begrudge these opportunities that are so essential for every follower of Jesus. Young and old. Man and woman. Now, there's a second reason. It seems to me that Martha was wrong. See if I can get at it. She was wrong because in all of her good service, and it was good service, in all of that, she had given in to a flustered, frenetic, destructive way of life. Uh, There there are notes there. I don't know if you want those words. Destructive, frenetic, out of control way of life that made her not a, a person who was a joy to be with when she served, But she probably wasn't any fun to be with at all. Look at how Jesus puts his finger on that in verse 41. Martha, Martha. Kind of sounds like the Brady Bunch, doesn't it? Martha, Martha. (laughs) The Lord answered. Look at you, Martha. You know that this isn't how God made you to live. You're just worried, flustered about so many things that have to be done. But right now, and the, the phrase really is, there's only one thing absolutely necessary And Mary is the one who has seen it. Now, you're with me, aren't you? Um, This text has been debated so much over centuries. Go over to the Fuller Library and you can see all the books about this. It's often been used as the text that tells us that those people who are built like Mary, who just like to withdraw from everything and always be reflective and meditative, that they are more spiritual. And so really to be a spiritual person, you need to withdraw from everything in the world And never be active doing the things that God has given you the gifts to do. But I'm quite sure that's not the point being made here. That's why we had first the Good Samaritan and then the story of Mary and Martha. What it's trying to do is help us to get the order right. Which one of those things is first? I'm quite sure that Jesus never had any thoughts of him becoming a monk. Nor was he uh, calling Mary or Martha into some sort of monastic life. No, he was encountering something else. And I think we all know it. Let me see if I can describe it. It's that place where even for us as churchgoers, you come into church and the pastor talks about a part of our spiritual growth is a life of service to one another. Uh, Look at every person who crosses your path as a person God made, a person of great value, a a person so, so worthy that Jesus gave his life for that person. And when you see people hurting, extend yourself. Use what God has given meet those needs he had just talked about that but here he is coming back and saying if you just do that without a real relationship to god without doing it out of the love of god starting with god at the heart of our beings it will only deplete you of your energies and make you this kind of worried irritating person that martha was in danger of becoming I mean, I think we all know people who do good things, but often they do the good things only to be noticed for doing good things. Uh, I love listening to Garrison Keillor tell stories, Um, Minnesota, cold place. Uh, He talks about going over to uh, on Thanksgiving to a home of one of his favorite aunts. I think her name was Betty, who always did all of these preparations. But then she would sit there and wait for everybody to praise her for every part of the preparation. Well, that was the best pot roast I've ever had. She just sits there scowling. You look up, she said, you didn't say anything about the vegetables. What's what's wrong with the vegetables? (laughs) You didn't say anything about, wasn't the bread any good? Yes, yes, and no matter how lavish the praise is, it's still not enough. This is the kind of person who's not serving simply out of a grateful heart for what God has done. Not serving as people who, who, who know that we don't deserve have a relationship with God because we have walked away from him. But we found mercy, haven't we? God knows us. He loves us. He's given his son to us. He gives His spirit to us. He gives us a family like this where we can come in and worship together with other people. And he gives us the opportunity to make a difference in the world and to share his message with people in this, this wonderful area where he has put us. But if we put him first and we go out of the church just thankful For all of these blessings he gives us, our service will be joyous service and people will love to cross our paths. But if we go out and our energy is all just because, well, we think we have to do it, we're obligated to do it. Or we want people to notice us doing it. It will bring no praise to God. No joy to us. And no lasting blessing to others. Martha was wrong. Because she'd given into this flustered state. You see, it isn't very far from this point of saying, Jesus, tell my sister to do what I'm doing. To the point of saying, you know, Jesus, I'm a better Christian than she is. And Martha was not a better Christian. In fact, she was the one who was in danger. Because instead of serving simply out of the privilege of having Jesus in her home, she was doing it with this worried flustered, destructive way of life. Third, finally, the main point I think that the Bible is making to us, and I think it really hits us, is that she was wrong in the making of her priorities. I've been getting at this in each one of the points, but that is the point that we have to say. See, and Jesus puts his finger on it in verse 42. Martha, you are worried about so many things in this world, and they're always there. But really, only one thing, one thing is absolutely necessary. Mary has seen it, and this time she has chosen what is better, and what she has chosen cannot be taken away from her. Well, what is this best thing? I I said, what could possibly be better that it would take precedence over that delicious meal? It's hard for me to imagine. I like food. Scholars have debated about this, but to me it's just such an easy thing if you read the whole story. It emerges out of this lawyer testing Jesus, saying, saying, how do you have eternal life? And Jesus throwing back to the lawyer, you know the law. He was talking about the law of the Old Testament. You tell me, how do you read it? Well, the first part of the Ten Commandments is love the Lord your God with all of your being. And the second part of it is love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus says. And the lawyer says, but who's my neighbor? And Jesus tells a story about The second greatest command. But there is a command that is greater than even our love for one another. There is a first command. And what is that first command? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. Martha was in danger of putting the second command first. Do you see that? Can you imagine a more important word for us? That you and I, in the midst of this busy world, where we often think that our walk with God is all reflected by our service, need to have that service flow out of lives that are wholly devoted to God. And I'm just telling you, those lives cannot be wholly devoted to God until we take times, as we are doing right now, and stop. And together with our children and young people, offer our praise to the Lord and tell him he is the Lord of the universe. And then stop and open his word and say, Father, you have something to say to me, for I am yours and you are first in my life. I've taken two quotes, putting them them in juxtaposition just to try to get at this. I don't know if it's helpful. If We can flip back. There's one that says this. No, it's not that one, though that is a great quote. Yeah. Have you seen anyone at the end of their lives who say, you know, I've spent too much time with God and also too much time with family and friends? I've, I've spent way too little time in my life watching television. <laughs> or I've spent way too little time sitting at my office. No, instead, I, you see, I call that no lady I've ever met at the end of their lives has ever said that. Instead, this great quote from Henry Martin one of the wonderful missionaries who died in his 30s, and just before he passed away, he would say this, you know, as I look back on my life, I've spent too much time in public ministry and too little time in communion with God. Oh, I know he was a missionary, and, but, but don't you think in all of our lives we can see what, what Henry Martin is saying? My brothers and sisters, I, I've really come to... To love the people of this congregation. And I know one of the greatest dangers in our world is that our lives get out of control. Isn't that true? Uh, That's why I would just encourage you every week to make sure you're in this place, in this place, and take time to hear whatever your Father would have to say to you. I will seek to be faithful to teaching what His Word is saying. And I pray that in your personal lives, instead of simply getting up and rushing into what you think God has given me to do, you would stop for just a moment every day and say, Father, my life is yours. I want to tell you this morning that I love you and I want to deepen my walk with you. And then go into the day knowing that God is at the heart of everything and in his strength. And in his strength. I know that for some who come to a service like this one, that This message from a preacher is almost incomprehensible because you're not really sure that that God is there, that you haven't really even had a relationship with him. Let me tell you, you can. Uh, We'd love to have you begin today. Come alive to God, and and this is how it begins, with an acknowledgement, an humble acknowledgement, that you're not yet all that you should be, that you need forgiveness for some things where you have fallen short, and you bring those to God and ask if he will forgive them, And he says, I am willing to cast them as far as east is from the west. And you entrust your life to Christ. And what what the Bible says is, then you're born again. I know some people don't like that phrase, but I love it. It means you're made alive in in a new way. You're born to a whole new world that you didn't even know before. That God is there. And when you know him and you put him first, then the rest of this life can fall into its rightful place. I'll leave you with two quotes. Again, that one from C.S. Lewis. When first things are put first, second things are not suppressed. Your marriage will be better, your family will be better, your work will be better, your service in church will be better because second things are not suppressed. Instead, they are increased. And what is that first thing? The clear words of Jesus from Matthew 22. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all of your mind. This, said Jesus, is the first and the greatest commandment. Do this. And I'm telling you, You will live to his glory. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you have been pleased with our praise. And I pray that I've been faithful to your word. Now take this, your message, and work it into our hearts and lives. We are ready to respond. We are ready to obey. We give you our hearts, our minds, our souls, all of our beings that we may live in a way that honors you. In Jesus' name, amen.